If I had a nickel for every time someone has said to me, Andrea, I think you're overthinking this, I would be a very wealthy woman. Now, overthinking takes on different forms for each and every one of us. But for me, it's often looked like worry, a whole lot of anxiety about making the right decision, almost to the point of analysis paralysis. And I can't tell you how many decisions in my life I've deferred because I wasn't sure whether or not I was making the right choice. Or what if by some chance something else better came along? Now, since recording this episode with Ann Vogel, who is a author and a blogger, I have made significant changes to how I make decisions in my life. Ann has written a book that touches on something that many of us face, me included, and that is overthinking. Now, maybe you're wondering about how you make decisions in your life and how you can conserve your mental energy. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Perhaps you're wondering how you can start making decisions easier with less stress. Well, we've got you covered on that one too. Anne and I chat about what practical steps can be taken when things go wrong, and best of all, how we can begin to co-create our lives within our decision making. This episode is going to provide you with so many takeaways. I know it's already changed my life, and I know it's about to change yours too. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hello friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of The Courage Cast. My name is Andrea, I'm your host. So glad that you're here, so glad that you've joined me. If you are a chronic overthinker, you are in the right place because we've got such a great episode in store for you today. I have to say personally, for a good portion of my life, I have been a chronic overthinker. However, I'm learning to change my language around that. But from simple decisions like what phone plan is best to when should I choose my holidays or what hotel option should I choose to whether or not to commit in a relationship. For many years, I was stuck because I could not make a decision. So much so that it kept me spinning my wheels. And I have to admit to you that even though I have made a lot of progress, there is still so much more I can improve on when it comes to decision making and overthinking. I'm going to go ahead and guess that if you're listening to this episode, then you have been someone who has been caught in that very same trap of overthinking. When I got my hands on Ann Bogle's book, Don't Overthink It, I could not wait to dive into the book because I was just so desperate to stop overthinking. I devoured every chapter and from the very first story, she had me hooked. Not only is she an incredible storyteller, but she provides so much insight on how we can move from overthinking to feeling like we have the mental bandwidth to handle every decision that comes our way. This is one of the most practical podcast episodes that we've done on the Courage Cast. I am so thrilled to introduce to you Anne Bogle. And thank you so much for being on the Courage Cast today. I picked up your book as soon as it was sent to me called Don't Overthink It, which if I'm honest with you, is like my nemesis. I overthink absolutely everything. So I am so excited to have you on to pick your brain. But um, while you're here, why don't you just share with us a little bit about who you are and who you serve? Sure. I got my start as a blogger. I've been blogging for nine years now at Modern Mrs. Darcy online. My favorite descriptor of the site is not mine. It comes from a friend of mine who described it back to me as a lifestyle blog for nerds. And I (laughs) am happy with that. Most of what I do revolves around books and reading, which I love for two reasons. One, I'm an avid reader, always have Mm -hmm. been. Um, I love to read. And also I love the conversations we have around books. If you meet a stranger at a party, or if you meet your neighbor when you're walking the dog, you can't say, so 
what have you been thinking deeply about lately? Or tell me about your personal relationships or, you know, what really matters you to your life? <laughs> well, you know, you're a one and I'm a nine and those, those seem a little fraught for different reasons, but exactly. so you can't just ask them a deep thoughts question, but when you connect with somebody about a book, which is a perfectly socially acceptable topic, it's a shortcut to get to talking about what matters in life really, really quickly. So in mm -hmm. all my work, I love how you can have conversations with strangers you've never met before and may never talk to again, but they can be about the things that really matter. And that's what I love about my work. I am Episcopal by mm -hmm. practice. Uh, what I also love about reading is without saying, let's talk to you about your spiritual beliefs. You can talk about the things that really matter. You can invite people to consider things from a different angle, and you can invite them to consider other possibilities than the religious possibility that they're currently living through in their life. What I'm trying to say is I think books can be an amazing tool for evangelism because when you're talking about books and reading, nothing is really off the table for what you can talk about. Mm -hmm. Unlike the common rule of thumb, which is don't talk about politics and religion at the dinner table. But when you're talking about a book, you can talk about anything. And and I think it expresses um, so much of our, our viewpoints and our thoughts and opinions in a way that can be well thought out versus maybe just kind of sharing something and then wishing you could take it back. I think the book, a book would totally lend itself to that. Now, I'm very curious since you're such an avid book reader, what's your favorite book? Oh, Andrea. I know. I felt like as soon as, as soon as I was going to ask that, I was like, I, uh, but I knew I'm, I'm, it's not a trap. <laughs> um, on my podcast, what should I read next? Our shtick is that every week a guest tells me three books they love, one book they don't and what they're reading now. And I recommend books they read next. Um, but what I'm always careful to tell them is someone who really struggles with superlatives is it's just books you love. It doesn't have to be the books you love the most or your, your okay, three top yeah. favorites for all time, just books you love. So for a favorite book, not necessarily the favorite book, I love Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. I love anything by Wendell Berry, especially Hannah Coulter. And a more recent pick, I really enjoyed Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls. Okay. Now I'm going to put those on my list. I, I tend to more, uh, I, I'm a self-help uh, reader. I read like, I know a lot of people who I'll, I'll say, you know, have you read this book? And they're like, no, it's self-help. Why would I read that? And I'm like, oh no, I read self-help. <laughs> but again, I'm a one on the Enneagram, which means that for me, that's like fun to me. Like I find that exciting. So I often find that there's other books that I need to actually um, allow myself to kind of drift into those spaces. So I hear I'm you. Gonna, well, I'm a nine on the Enneagram. Those. So I love to hear how everyone's thought process works, why they believe the things they do, why they want to read the books that they do choose to read and why they like them or don't. If someone doesn't enjoy a book, I find that equally fascinating, maybe even more so as to why they really loved it. And my audience is made up of avid readers. It's largely yeah. women. And we are people who uh, love to read, are fascinated by the idea of reading, who love to learn. Uh, we have many English majors among us. I was not one myself, but we have many English yeah. majors among us and people who both can't get enough book talk and don't have people in their regular, ordinary, everyday lives who care about books in the same way they do. Now, you've had your blog for how long? Since the beginning of 2011. So we are not that far away from a decade now, which blows wow. my mind. I'm rounding up, but it has been nine years. Wow, that's incredible. And you still write weekly or how often do you put out a blog? I still write regularly. Um, we put up posts several times per week. Um, mm -hmm. Recently, it's it's been as many as five, which I feel like it's not 2008 anymore. That's not how you're supposed to be blogging. But I don't know. They've <laughs> been saying the blog is dead for like five years now. And I still really love mine and people still read it. So I try to ignore that. But I, we, I do still post regularly. Now, it's funny you say that because um, when I first started coaching, I had a blog. And um, I don't find that I'm a great particularly a great writer. I mean, I'm okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not awesome, but um, 
I found it really like really difficult. I was like, this is a lot of work. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to switch to a podcast until I realized I actually still have to write the, the, the script for the podcast. And then I thought to myself, I'm actually now making more work because I have to still write this. Now I have to record it and then put it out. So I ended up actually doing myself a disservice, but I, I do find for me, uh, I'm better if I get to just talk versus um, communicating through writing. So I always uh, really admire people who communicate through writing. I, I love it. I just wish that I was better at it. Well, neither one is easy. And it's been really interesting to me since I got my start as a blogger and then started mm -hmm. podcasting in early 2016 to see how different mediums serve specific purposes. Yes. Because my, yeah, absolutely. The origin of my podcast was a series I ran on the blog for a couple of years. And I liked the idea, but I never loved it in that format. And then it finally occurred to me, oh, we should be talking. I shouldn't be writing this. I should be having a conversation. And it just really clicked when I switched. But some things work better in writing. But oh, you're, <laughs> I really <laughs> relate to what you said about how podcasting contains a lot more writing than I ever would have dreamed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I do find because there have been times where I just try to shoot from the hip a little bit. And I find that if I do prepare a little bit more and I do write it out, I have a tendency to stay on track and um, it's actually better for my communication as far as like, how do I sound? And um, I don't say like or um or ah, which I would have a tendency to do mm -hmm. if I was just talking. And so, and speaking of which, and then I'm going to get to the book because I cannot wait to talk to you about the book, but I have to say this, and this is going to sound like so crazy, but you have the nicest voice. Oh, thank you. Like, like listening to, I'm like, it is so soothing. I'm like, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Although you may get a kick out of hearing that when I, when I still read podcast reviews back in the very early days, I did get one two-star review that says, come on, why does she try to sound like she's narrating a fabric softener commercial? I was like, hilarious. It's, it's just my voice. <laughs> Sorry. No, you don't like it. it. Oh no. I, I love it. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's just, it feels like I'm like, I need to like read uh, every audible book with your voice. That's oh, well, thank that's you for I that. Want. Well, just call me up if you ever need a bedtime story, if you can't sleep. Oh, Okay, I will. Okay, so I want to talk about this book, Make Easier Decisions, Stop Second Guessing and Bring More Joy to Your Life. Um, I'm the worst at overthinking. Um, one of the things that you do talk about in your book is the cause and effect of overthinking. And so I wanted to kind of just ask you, um, one of the things that, that, that I'm really, um, I guess, really passionate about is body, soul, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And how do you think um, the cause and effect of overthinking, what does that do to us, body, soul, and spirit? Well, when I started writing the book, I really didn't understand. I mean, I thought I knew what overthinking was. How about I definitely knew what overthinking was. We all know what overthinking is. We're talking about thoughts mm -hmm. that are repetitive, unhealthy, they're unhelpful. We feel like our brain is working really, really hard, and yet we know that mm -hmm. it's accomplishing absolutely nothing. Overthinking wears us out. It makes us feel really bad. But I didn't realize the extent of overthinking, um, just how far it ran, how wide it went in my own life and other people's lives. I, I didn't realize how far it reached. And I also didn't realize some of its, what are now very obvious to me, sources like perfectionism. I completely didn't understand the tie between perfectionism and overthinking. And also, because I tend to think of something or of overthinking as something that happens in our heads, I really was missing the connection between body, soul, and spirit. But something I saw over and over again, something that the research absolutely bears out, is what is bad for the body is bad for the brain. What is bad for the brain is bad for the body. And when either of those two things isn't working, we feel unwell, like in our souls, we feel like we are not at peace because we're not, mm. that totally makes sense. I just didn't realize how circular it was. 
Wow. Like, so how did you kind of come to that conclusion? Like, what was the process for you to, to get to that? Well, two things. First of all, in writing a book like this, I did a ton of research and I talked to a lot of people. Some were interviews with experts and some were, you know, bumping into friends. What are you thinking about? What are you reading? What are you working on? And we'd have these conversations. But the other thing is when you're writing a book about something, you're focusing on your regular life in a whole new way because if you're if you're reading about overthinking if you're thinking about overthinking it's impossible not to kind of monitor your own behavior in a way you didn't before and so through the research but also just noticing myself like when do people overthink they do it in the middle of the night when they are exhausted it, there's a reason for that. It's not just because it's quiet. It's because you are tired and it's so much mm. easier to lapse into overthinking when you're tired. I mean, how many of us lose our minds when we're hungry? Um, it's, it's a real thing. Something that I, um, I just really didn't understand how deep the connection went. And also I noticed how many of us, including myself, tend to disregard really simple solutions when we're trying to interrupt overthinking in our life. We think, I have a really big deal going on. Don't tell me to get a snack like it's going to fix it. <laughs> and a snack is not going to fix it, but it's one of those little things you can do to set yourself up for success in your mental space. And what I found was that I had been so quick in the past to disregard simple solutions because I thought this is a big problem. It needs a solution that feels equally big. But I found the research so persuasive, like Bessel van der Kolk wrote this amazing book called The Body Keeps the Score. And he really, mm -hmm. he he's an expert. He, he's like a TED Talk caliber expert. And to hear him say something like breathing, eating, sleeping, peeing, he said peeing. I'm not just throwing that out there, Andrea. <laughs> They're so fundamental to our lives that it's easy to neglect their significance when we're considering the complexities of mind and behavior. But if we do, we do so at our peril. And that really caused me to take a lot more seriously how I treat my body because of the effect it has on my brain and because of the effect I see not it's not a straight line which is what makes it so tricky but I know if I don't take good care of my body for a week I don't feel it rest in my soul in the same way as I would mm -hmm. if I were getting enough sleep it's so simple but it matters so much oh I, I completely agree and I think even for um you know just even getting exercise taking a walk getting some sunlight all of these little things that, that we take for granted and think, oh, that's not going to actually make a difference. It actually can help us to stop Yes, it, kind of the cycle of thinking. Yes, and that's what I found, that it's such a cycle and it's it's difficult to know where to step in and interrupt it, in, interrupt it, but this can be such a simple way to step in. And I'm not saying this as a, you you should do these things. I mean, of course we know that we should, but anyone who's had something like they're eating or they're peeing or they're sleeping disrupted by factors beyond their control knows because they felt it just how disruptive it is, not just to their physical body, but to to everything about them. Mm -hmm. No, that's amazing. That One of the things that you talk about in your book is learning to think well. And I think for myself, um, as I've kind of like really matured in kind of even in who I am, I realize the the power of our thoughts. And I didn't always realize the power of my thoughts. Um, and so this is something that's really been interesting to me to learn about over the past few years. But I'd love to hear your take on like, how can we actually learn like practical steps to to think well? That's a great question. And I'm there with you. I kind of thought of thinking uh, in the past. I tell a story in the book about when that changed for me, but I thought of thinking almost as something that happens to us and not as something that we actively participate in for a long time, but we really can learn to think well, and we can't do it perfectly. Um, we can't do, I can't do it anywhere close to perfectly, but just knowing that there are factors within my control, um, many more factors than I would have dreamed of uh, years ago mm -hmm. is I would say the first step when you don't think something is possible you don't attempt, attempt to do it so just knowing that learning to think well is a process and it's a process that we can participate in is really important and 
some of the things we can do in that regard are really simple to implement. Um, take a walk, get some sleep, don't be starving. Um, but others are harder and require a lot more perseverance. Now, just kind of going back to the Enneagram, because we were talking about that at the beginning, do you think it's different for every person um, in the sense of how they think? Like for for a one, like I have that that inner critic. So would it be learning to think well would be different for me versus like a three or a seven? Um, how, how do we kind of um, learn to do those things based even on, on just our personality? That's an interesting question. I'm just spitballing here, but what I've observed and what the research bears out, not on the specific question, but in general, yeah. is that some of us naturally um, are great at some things in the thought life. Some, some of us don't struggle with certain things. Um, like mm. I don't have a terribly difficult time most of the time with comparison with, with looking at somebody else and going, Oh my gosh, I'll never measure up. Plenty of people yeah. have serious issues with that. And I don't think that's a character fault that naturally their brain goes that place more easily. It's just the way they are. Um, but there's, there are plenty of other places I go really, really easily like overwhelm and decision fatigue. I'm a type nine. Um, like I can mm. just hit that road running and it's really easy for me. Um, I, I mentioned in passing that perfectionism is strongly tied to overthinking. Uh, when, once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it. And in the subtitle of the book, Stop Second Guessing is one of the things. Uh, second guessing mm -hmm. is hugely tied to perfectionism, um, and both of which are just uh, strong fuel for overthinking. Um, as a type one, the perfectionist, that mm -hmm. is likely going to be <laughs> something that you have to work harder than others do to overcome. It doesn't mean it's not possible, but it means that that's not going to come as easy to you. I think this, are, this is a really good question because knowing that different people are different is really helpful because otherwise you could look at your friend who's a six and, um, and think, why, why is she getting this and I'm not? What is she doing differently than me? I'm working so hard on this thing, I'm still not getting there. There must be something wrong with me. And that's not the case at all. It's that something that's easy for you is hard for her and vice versa. Yeah, when I, I was given these books um, and I, I got a whole whack of them, I got I think five at the same time. And this was in the in the, the pile of books and, and I, I I literally saw the title, Don't Overthink It. And it was like, it literally jumped out at me because of my personality type and because of my propensity to overthink everything. And like you said in the, the whole perfectionist, although I don't um, think I am a perfectionist as such, I, I definitely want to do things well and right and good. And because I want to do things good, I have a tendency to think about my decisions way beyond what is necessary and where most people could probably make a decision and move on. I'm still weighing the options. Um, in fact, there's like when I was reading your book, I actually started laughing because I thought to myself, I think there was one story, maybe it's your, your beginning story. I'm trying to remember now. Um, now I'm just opening my, the book here. Um, yes. Uh, you're talking about Nashville and you're, you're leaving and, um, you're traveling and, and it was so funny because I had just gotten home from Florida and I am the worst at booking hotels, like the worst, because all I want to do is I want to research and research and research. And then I end up just usually booking the same hotel that I found the first time but I had to literally see all of my options. That's so interesting. Something I was surprised to discover is that with really positive intentions, we can fall right into overthinking. Like what's wrong with wanting to find a really good option for a hotel? Like there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that motivation. Um, yeah. I was surprised to discover that intellectual curiosity in enjoying learning things can be hugely contributive to overthinking. Because if you like to find out information, you 
are in the habit of seeking more information about the matter at hand, whatever it is. You like learning more for the sake of learning, which means when you have enough information to make a decision, you maybe are not great at saying, I got it, I got enough, let's do this and move on. You just keep bringing more data in, but that makes it harder to decide. And then you're in analysis paralysis and that's a dangerous situation. But you got your so, hotel. Uh, well, yes, and I always do, but, you know, and now I've, I've had to actually, like I, I've implemented for myself uh, a time frame. Mm -hmm. Like I have to, you're all, like I say to myself, you're only allowed to look for this amount of time and then you're done. Because mm -hmm. if I, if I, I will look and then I will look again and then I will look again and I would probably spend 10 hours of time researching something that I've now just wasted 10 hours that I could be doing something else, which is just nuts. Like that's, there's no, like, there's no good that comes out of that, that 10 hours. But I've, I've noticed like for myself, like, um, there's some of the things that you mentioned in the book and I love to hear some, some practical examples. But one of the things that immediately I did after I re read your book was I made a schedule for myself. And, um, and what I did was I decided that I was, and this is going to sound really probably very minor, but I decided which days I was going to wash my hair. Oh my gosh. I can see how that would be really freeing because I have not decided which days I'm going to wash my hair, but <laughs> right now, something that's really throwing me is not having a regular running routine. I'm a runner. Mm. I'm a really slow runner, but I'm a runner. This is something I do for fitness, but it's, mm. it's winter right now. And sometimes the roads are snowy and sometimes they're icy and we don't have a treadmill. Actually, I have a treadmill desk, but it only goes to four miles an hour. I'm slow, but I'm faster than that. And yeah. <laughs> the unpredictability of it is really throwing me. And I've been thinking, I, I don't like not knowing. I don't like not being able to plan. And that does affect mm -hmm. things like showers and hair washing. We both have long hair. Yeah. It takes a long time to dry. And mm -hmm. this will be, this will only be an issue for another month or two in the climate where I live. But I completely understand how being able to settle these things that sound small, but really take up a lot of space in your mind, more space than you feel like they deserve, can really feel so freeing. Yeah, because when I even, you know, to, to that, to exercise, because I found that if I decided when I was washing my hair, I knew when I was working out. Mm -hmm. And, and because I had made the decision, okay, we're going to wash your hair this day, this day, and this day, then I know I need to have a workout that is going to precede hair washing. So my really tough workouts fall right before I'm going to wash my hair. Mm -hmm. So that the next day when I get up, maybe I'll do yoga or, or Pilates or take a walk versus like actually, you know, breaking a sweat and, and doing something so that, you know, I'm not doing my hair, you know every single day and and like even with you know steve jobs like he had the whole thing of a uniform like this is what he's going to wear every day just to kind of like take away that decision making process like you know what are some of the things that we can do that would be like helpful or practical um to help offset like some of the the decision making maybe that we'd have well first of all i want to say that people love to hear any story that begins with this sounds like such a small thing like we want to hear <laughs> we want to hear the details we want to hear the actual things you changed in your life mm -hmm. and we want to know what made such a difference um something i say in the book is it's not overthinking if you're giving it the amount of thought you want to and the flip side of that is if you're spending more time thinking about something than you feel like it deserves, then you sense it, you feel it. It does not make you feel great about how you're spending your mental energy. And so I hear you saying that like, it's washing my hair. It's not a big deal. But if it was taking up mental space, like if you found your thoughts going to, when am I going to get this done? When am I going to get this done on a regular basis? and you fixed it by making a schedule, that is amazing. And now you can use that mental energy for something else. Um, what you said before with the hotel, um, that mm -hmm. you set a time limit is so smart. And with washing your hair, you set a time on the calendar. What you really did there was, well, you pre-made a decision to limit your options. And that can be such a huge mental energy saver. Um, it just really streamlines things. And then you have more mental energy left to focus on the things that really matter. And you mentioned Steve Jobs and his uniform, mm -hmm. a simple wardrobe or a regular 
uniform. That is definitely something people do. People eat the same thing. Like my husband and I, have, it, we both work from home now. We've eaten the same thing for lunch now for a couple of years. And it's just mm -hmm. so easy. We don't have conversations about what's in the fridge. What do you want to have? We just yes. always have the same thing. Um, when we have friends over for dinner, we have like three recipes that we rotate. I, I myself have a very simple wardrobe. Um, something that I found to be really helpful is just to limit myself to one source when I'm uh, shopping, when I'm looking for a hotel. I won't look on four travel websites. I will look on one or I'll decide in advance, like I don't need 11 options or 1100. I just need five and then I'll decide from there. Um, another way to really streamline our mental processes is to limit technology creep. This is not a book where I wanted to focus a lot on technology because there are other books that do that well, but it was really interesting to read how technology uh, doesn't necessarily, um, it's not necessarily the cause of overthinking, but it definitely exacerbates anything we have going on in our life. And if we are in an overthinking mind and we, if we're tired and hungry and we scroll Instagram, it can be very difficult to extricate ourselves. I find that it really just makes us experience anything we're already experiencing on steroids. So just being conscious to <laughs> rein that back in and to pay attention to if, if this is fueling our decision fatigue, if this is fueling our scattered mental feeling, then mm -hmm. um, there are some changes that we probably need to make. The start of a brand new year can sometimes feel a little bit sobering. When we step back and look at our lives, we see either amazing things have come to be or there is a lack of what we truly want. Maybe you're not really happy with where you're at not feeling all that successful or finding it hard to navigate really important relationships in your life. What you believe to be true about your life is what you will create. Beliefs make up your life experience. And if you don't change what you believe to be true about yourself and your circumstances, then you will never be able to change the situation you are in. So you may be wondering, how do I change those beliefs? It all starts with getting really clear on what you want your life to look like, being clear on who it is you want to be, what you truly want to do with your life, and then what you want to have happen. And too often we let our excuses keep us spinning our wheels and stuck in the same space emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And there's no one that understands that more than I do. So let me ask you. What do you want to see happen this year in your life? What one thing would you change to make everything different? Maybe you know deep down, but maybe you're not entirely sure right now. I would love to have a conversation with you about how you can become the woman you really have been created to be. So don't let those excuses hold you back this year. Take that step of courage and make some big changes in your life. Schedule a free 30-minute coaching call with me and we'll chat and spend a bit of time identifying what may be holding you back. I am confident that you will see a shift immediately. So book that 30-minute strategy session by going to andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. We're thinking about like that mental energy and like how much we have in a day. Like what are, like, how do we structure that? Cause I know like after I read the book and I thought if I can just take a few of these things off of my decision-making list, like, you know, um, I just know when I need to pack certain things for certain days, if I'm going to be out of the house or, you know, I know if I'm showering on this night, then, you know, and I wear almost the same thing. It just takes off those, um, you know, those decisions, but like, what about our, our actual mental energy? Like how much of that do we actually even have? <laughs> um, well, I wish I could tell you that we all have like a 1.2 liter tank. I don't know yeah. how we measure that exactly, but I do know that our mental energy is a finite resource. We all have things that we like to do to recharge and we can tell that we're depleted, but it's, it's not so easy. It's just like downing a cup of coffee and thinking that we're revived. It doesn't work like that. 
Um, what I do try to focus on is being mindful of where that mental energy goes. Also, you were just talking about imposing limits. And again, it's not overthinking if you're giving it the amount of thought you want to. So if you are a person who loves creativity, who loves the visuals, who relishes getting dressed every morning, you can go to town and nobody's going to hold that against you if that's something you enjoy. Mm, yeah. Um that's not something that matters as deeply to me. I have a friend who's always looking for ways to streamline in her life because she very much values efficiency, but she loves clothing. And we have totally different relationships with our closets. And that is absolutely <laughs> fine um, because she's giving it the amount of attention she wants to. Um, that being said, I think if she didn't have the energy to make it through her mental work day, I'm sure she would be looking to cut back and nothing is necessarily sacred, although that may be going too far. Um, something that I did find really interesting in making decisions easier and streamlining decisions was adopting a values-based decision-making approach. This is something that I realized I did in some areas of my life before, but I really didn't realize how powerful it could be to on purpose identify, hey, I have this value and I'm facing this decision. Do the two connect? And if they do, could the decision I'm facing become easier. And I know that sounds really um, esoteric, a values-based decision-making philosophy. But no, I love but it. what I mean I is it. if I'm deciding whether I have time to um, meet friends for dinner in the past, be before I started really researching, overthinking, I might've thought, um, what does my calendar look like? How busy am I this week? Do Am I going to feel like going out on Tuesday night? And now, while it's certainly not the only option, but something that I will consider immediately now if, if a friend says, hey, can you get coffee, is I really value showing up and seeing people in person. And just being able to consciously say, this is a lens through which I am choosing to make decisions is really helped me make some decisions that in the past I could have debated about for way too long. Mm -hmm. I, I talk a lot about that with my coaching clients about even, you know, just really understanding what they do value because of the fact that if they know what they value, then they are going to actually make decisions in their life, whether they be small decisions or big decisions that will, um, position them to go in the direction they want to go versus if they have no idea. And like, you know, also sometimes when people are working a, a nine to five job and they're, they're finding that they're always at odds with um, their employer, oftentimes the values of that employer and their own personal values are not congruent. Oh yes. That's so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So then they're, of course, they're feeling that tension and they think, I, I just can't be here. I can't be here. But I, I always say to them, like, well, when you understand the values for that employer or that company, what they values, maybe not your personal values, but like, can you get behind those values, even if it's just for work? And then sometimes they're like, no, I can't. Or yes, I can. I can, I can totally get behind that for work but not for mm -hmm. myself personally. So I, I loved how you, you did that. And there was another thing that you, you talk about, and it's kind of like what happens when things go wrong and, and kind of like giving yourself um, practical steps to make room for things going wrong in your life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. First, I want to say that is so smart to help your clients think through the differences and the values that their <laughs> employers hold versus the values mm. that they hold. Because ideally, what you do will flow naturally out of who you are, which is the values yeah. you hold. And so I can see how when they're at work, the choices their employer is choosing to implement, that what, what they're choosing to do just won't make any sense to them if they have different Absolutely. values. So yeah. that is such a smart uh, way to- Even choosing a job, yes. same thing. You know, oftentimes people, especially like, I mean, I, I do work a lot with, you know, people who are entrepreneurs or they kind of have their own thing, but, but there are oftentimes people who are looking for jobs and then they're looking in companies that they don't actually believe in the same value system. And so, you know, I'm like, you're barking up the wrong tree there because that's not going to work for you. And you're going to feel 
like you know something's off all the time whereas if you find some company or an employer or a person um, that has similar values it's just going to feel like you're you're in your sweet spot mm-hmm. and there's nothing better than that and i know i only know that because of experience <laughs> so because i've been in the wrong place mm-hmm. where where I, i'm not aligned with mm-hmm. the values so i completely know what it's like to be in a place mm-hmm. that, that is and and not Ugh. so well i'm sure that was really uncomfortable at the time And now I'm glad that you can use that experience to help other people see that because until you can understand what's going on, you can't do anything about it. But I can see how that could be like the key that turns the lock that helps people grasp, oh, now I get what's happening here and why it doesn't feel quite right to me or why I persist in not understanding (laughs) the decisions that get made. Oh, so smart. Okay. So speaking of not liking the decisions, we could talk about things going wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. You've talked about the Enneagram. I'm a nine. I like to consider options. I don't really like to close doors. Um, And I'm a naturally slow processor. I like to sit with things for a while before making a decision. But Andrea, you know that not everything is worth sitting with. Um, So I was really interested in exploring what happens when when things go wrong, when um, when things go awry and our plans change at the last minute or something unexpected happens. Uh, Sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing, but when that happens, we have to make a decision. We have to pivot. We have to do it quickly. And you don't have time to evaluate all your options. You don't have 10 hours to look at hotels. You have to do something right now or something bad is going to happen. And what I found in my own life in the past is I would just freeze because I didn't know what to do. And I was really interested in finding some strategies that would help me learn to pivot more gracefully when things mm-hmm. went in a direction I wasn't expecting. And what I mean by that is, um, what if it rains on your picnic? What if the babysitter cancels? What if you have a meeting cancel and suddenly you have three hours of free time and you have to figure out something to do? Because if you don't, you'll just piddle and you know that's not good. Yeah. But you have to make a decision quickly um, or or you're not going to be able to take advantage of that. And you can hear my leaning toward perfectionism there. And I discovered yeah. that something <laughs> that really hampered me a lot is when things went wrong, I think, okay, what is the absolute best thing we can do given the current circumstances? And I realized that is completely the wrong way to approach it. I'm sure you heard what was wrong with what I just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, anytime we're looking for the best in any situation, we're just putting so much pressure on ourselves, And that's not good. It's really hard to make decisions in high stakes situations, but it's, it's usually us who are putting the pressure on ourselves. Nobody else is doing it. Um, two things that I found really, really effective in dealing with changes in plans. I'm not a person who loves spontaneity. I know some people do and actively seek it out. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not totally going to freeze if you change, you know, the dinner location on me, but I don't love surprises and spontaneity. Um, but two words to live by have been the power of just picking something. I've realized yeah. there's so many moments in my life where I don't need to make the absolute best decision. I'm looking at a couple of good options. It really does not matter which one I choose, but we can't move forward until I use something. And I have just been telling myself in those moments that it it doesn't matter, just pick something. It'll turn Mm -hmm. out. And that has saved me so much time that I would have previously spent mentally debating things. And then the other thing that has really helped a lot is to just build in margin as someone who tends to naturally maximize everything, um, I like to try and squeeze in as much as possible. I plan for best case scenarios, whether we're talking about planning the year or planning my drive across town in rush hour traffic. You know, one time it took 15 minutes. So let's just plan on that this time, even though MAP says 23. I did it once in 15 minutes. So let's just plan on that. And I found that when we do build in margin, and by that, I mean, we don't, we don't, pack our schedules 100% full. We don't run our bodies like at the absolute maximum capacity. We are better able to improvise. We have more wiggle room. So now I've learned I can plan to meet my deadlines early uh, because like it's flu season here. A Mm -hmm. huge scary percentage of kids are out because everyone is sick. Pneumonia is going around. I didn't even know that was possible. Um, 
when we plan for things to go not exactly according to plan, then it's not a disaster when things do go awry. Also, when you build in a little margin, you have space for fun stuff too. Like what if your friend comes to town at short notice? You, you're, you're not jammed to capacity, so you have time to see someone you haven't in a while. Or someone calls on the phone that you haven't talked to in a while. Because I hear sometimes people do still talk on the phone these days. Um, yeah. You can take the time to do, do that. Yeah. <laughs> if a new book comes out you can't wait to read, then you could actually sit down and read a chapter or two um, and restore yourself in that way because you're not so jam packed in how you've allotted your time that you can't give yourself 20 minutes to recharge. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting that you're saying all this because I can see how this is so helpful for so many people. And then I know friends of mine who, like you said, are more kind of spontaneous, but they still want a decision to be made, even if they're okay with the plans changing, like, you know, for me, you're, you're talking about the restaurant and, and I've had to actually make this decision. This is a decision I've actually made, but, um, before I would, if people changed the restaurant on me the day of, I had a real problem with that. And I know that sounds really like insignificant, but I would be, um, ready to eat that meal. Mm -hmm. Like I would be thinking about that meal. So I'm like in my mind, I'm already, I know what I'm going to order. I've, you know, I've thought about it. So it's like, if you're going to, you know, I'm going to go and get burger and fries. And then you tell me, no, we're going for Thai. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I'm like, I am not ready for Thai. Mm -hmm. Like I need, I need a whole other day to get ready for that. So I've, I had to make the decision for myself that no, you can actually switch midstream. And I had to tell myself. No, you're making the decision that it is possible for you to want something or know that you're going to have something and then have to have to change. But I had to make the, that as a decision for myself. That totally makes sense and goes back to what we were saying earlier about some people having a difficult time with things that come so easily to others, like your spontaneous yeah. friends, obviously it didn't bother them mm -hmm. to change at the last minute. And, and it's can be really difficult as human beings to understand what it's like to think a different way. Um, yeah. but change is a lot harder for some of us than others. That's really great that you were able to identify that and consciously make a little guideline for yourself like you did. Well, you know, and uh, honestly, I'm so grateful for this conversation because I, I've, I'm just really seeing things in a, in a whole new light because I was honestly reading this through the lens of what I needed personally, but now I'm kind of really seeing it through the lens of like the people in my life and how does it actually affect them when they're making decisions? And like, if I'm feeling frustrated, like, geez, I wish you'd just make a decision about that. Or like why, you know, or they, they make a decision I would never make and, and I don't understand mm -hmm. it. I think now I'm, I'm beginning to see like, oh, okay, this, this really does look different for every person uniquely to how they're wired. Um, there's lots of practical things we can each pull out and use, um, but not all the same things. Yes, that's so true. Now, one of the things um, I just absolutely loved um, is you talk about co-creating in your own life. And um, this is something that personally I have just kind of felt more in the past little while of like just coming to an understanding that I, I actually get to co-create my life. That God and I also, we're, we're working in tandem to do this. And, and I... For a long time, I felt kind of like life happened to me versus life is happening for me and I actually get to be in on the decision making and I get to be in on the choices. Can you speak to that? Like, what are ways that we can co-create a life that we just truly love? Well, I love the way you put that and I'm so curious about, about what that looks like in your own life. <laughs> Do you want me to answer that? Sure, I'd love to hear. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I've, I think really when I was younger, I felt a really strong call 
to be in ministry. And, and so that was the trajectory kind of that I was on. And, and so for the good part of two decades, I was in ministry. And although I, I don't feel even to this day that that was a wrong decision or that wasn't um, something that I was, was supposed to do, I think that I didn't realize that I, I got to, I had a, I, I could have, I guess, at that point, um, co-created my life. I could have, you know, been in on the on um, some of the things, the desires that I had, but I really kind of felt as though, no, I just need to do what is right. Um, and I, I don't know where I came up with that, if it was a theology or if it was just, you know, um, my own mindset. But I really, really kind of was like, no, I just have to do this and I don't have a choice um, in the matter. And I, and it wasn't until probably a few years ago that I really um, started to understand, um, you know, my relationship with God in a different way, where it's like, no, we we can co-create this. And it's it's like almost like, Andrea, are there things that you still desire to do, or do you um, still want to have, or who do you want to become, who that you aren't already? you know, let's do this together. Let's create this. And it's like, oh, like I actually get to do this with you. And that was like a, I don't know, like a light bulb moment for me. And, and seeing that I actually get to, to play part in co-creation of what my life looks like. Oh, that really resonates with me. And I love that. And especially considering what you do with your life now, Oh, what a powerful insight to have. It was hard though. I have to say it was not easy. It was, it didn't come easily to Well, me, no, because but. then when, well, first of all, getting to that light bulb moment, I imagine was a long road and then you have to do something about it. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> I really relate to your light bulb moment because I had one as well. And it's funny, we were talking about the power of the written word versus the spoken word. Um, it was, mm-hmm. it was a slight tweak in phrasing of things I was familiar with that really caused me to think about my whole life in a different way, or at least how I, how I viewed what I could do. So this happened in church as well. We regularly sing this song. Um, it's <laughs> okay. I was going to say it's not a great song, but it's, you know, I'm sure people love it, but it has this chorus that goes, God will delight when we are creators of justice and love, joy, compassion, and peace. And Mm -hmm. something, it's such a small thing, but something really clicked for me there. Cause I don't know that I'd ever thought of myself individually as being a creator of justice or joy Mm -hmm. or love or compassion or peace. I, I don't know that I think of my, I mean, I'm in a creative profession, but I don't really think of myself as a creator. I, I think of myself as someone who wants justice and may work toward justice, but the idea that my just everyday small actions could create more justice right where I was, that was really revolutionary for me. And it really changed the way I interacted. And there are two sides to this coin. Like, in one sense, I definitely do not want to sound like, oh, I'm so important creating justice right where I am because I made a donation, because I dropped money in the Salvation Army bucket. Like, it's not like that at all. But what it does do is in a really, uh, in a really positive way, I felt like it put more responsibility in my hands. It made me feel like what I did really mattered. If I can live in a way that creates love where it wasn't before or creates compassion where it wasn't before, even if I'm just creating it in my own heart, then that is a good thing. And it's a thing that is within my power to do. And I think I hadn't really given myself as an individual or individuals in general enough credit for the little things they can do every day to create the world we live in. I know that we've all heard the saying, like you're voting with your pocketbook for what kind of world do you want to live in? Or, you know, every, every hour you live becomes, you know, you're assembling your life hour by hour. And that's just too big for me to wrap my head around. But, Mm -hmm. but thinking through my actions, um, like, do I, 
do I want to be the kind of person who um, shows up? Do I want to be the, the kind of person that extends um, sympathy or compassion? Do I want to be the kind of person who says um, the right thing, even when it's uncomfortable? Like I can create, I can live out the things that I profess to value. And it really does matter a lot. My, mm-hmm. like what I do can be aligned with what I believe, with what I think is important. That's powerful. And the interesting thing to me is that it sounds like it re- requires so much intention and so much purpose and so much hard, hard thought to live out your values every day. And it does require intention and purpose sometimes, and it requires more thought at the beginning. But what happens is when you're aligned like that is it just flows it's so easy. Mm. And I, I had a couple of years ago, I just had no idea. It's been a delightful surprise to see how simple that could be. And also so deeply, deeply good. And, and sounds free. Yes. And I get it wrong so, so much, but I get it wrong less than I used to. And I really notice the difference. It's just mm. so much easier. And I feel like it's, I'm, I'm, living in a way that I'm happier with. And also it's so much easier. You know, and I I think just even having that understanding for yourself is just uh, uh, revolutionary, truly revolutionary. Because even I I was just uh, talking today to a client and even their decision-making process was really wrapped around um, the approval of other people. And I get that. I totally get that because I also feel that way as well. But when we can kind of get to a place where we can see that it's, you know, those, those little decisions that are lining up with our values, kind of that alignment and, and kind of, you know, I get to be in this, I get to, to play a part in my own life and not every decision has to kind of like put me down for the count. Um, just is really, it really freed me. I think that's why I resonated so much with the book was because it, it kind of like uh, allowed me to, to go, okay, what are some things that I can, I can do to like stop the madness? You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, really, because I do desire, like, um, I do t- desire to have a little bit more freedom in my life. I do desire to have a little bit more spontaneity. I do desire to have margin and have all those things. And the only way that I know I can implement them is to make some decisions uh, ahead of time so that I'm not making decisions mm-hmm. and overthinking things that just don't need to be um, thought about as mm-hmm. much. Um Although you did say there's some things that we can't overthink. I, I don't, I won't word it quite like you did, but, um, uh, so there, I just, I don't know. I loved the book. Loved it. I'm so glad. Like, Thank you. Huge, huge fan. Um, now when does it come out officially? March 3rd. Okay. Awesome. So how can people connect with you and, um, read your blog and, um, and where can they find you on the interwebs, all of those things. My home base online is my blog. You can find it at modern And that has links okay. to, um, the blog. It has all my book and book tour information and also my podcast. What should I read next? You can find it all right there. Awesome. Well, I cannot wait for your book to come out. Um, I just, hope you have so much success with it that it's really transformative for people as they read it they you know that it's um just as much as as it was for me and i thank you so much you are just like a wealth of knowledge and just so delightful to talk to so thank you for being on the courage Cast. oh well this was a delight thank you so much for having me a huge thank you to Anne for coming on the podcast sharing her knowledge and being so kind to indulge me with some of my personal overthinking idiosyncrasies. As I mentioned earlier, since I have read the book, I have been able to implement so many of these great tools. And you can find them all in her book, Don't Overthink It, which is now available. And I've put a link to the book as well as how to contact her in the show notes. You can also find me on social media as well at, at the dot courage cast or at Miss Crispy. I'd love to connect with you. Now make sure 
you don't miss next week's episode. I am so, so excited about having repeat guest Beth McCord along with her husband, Jeff McCord. We're talking all about relationships and the Enneagram. So make sure you join us next week. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.